0: Genesis chapter 42 from 29 to the end of the chapter today. When they came to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man, the Lord of the land, spoke roughly to us and took us to be spies of the land. But we said to him, We are honest men. We have never been spies We are 12 brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, and the youngest is this day with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the Lord of the land, said to us, By this I shall know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers with me, and take grain for the famine of your household, and go on your way. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I shall know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver your brother to you, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more, and now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. Then Reuben said to his father, "'Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. "'Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you.' But he said, "'My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, "'and he is the only one left. "'If harm should happen to him on the journey that you are to make,' you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. It's
1: the Word of God, you may be seated. So we're in this series on the patriarchs being the male founders of the Jewish people, starting with Abraham and Isaac, then moving to Jacob. Once we move it to Jacob, the number of patriarchs greatly increases. I counted, and when you consider Joseph's two sons who also become patriarchs, there is some 14, 15 patriarchs, including Jacob, his 12 sons and Joseph's two brothers. That's a lot of patriarchs. Joseph, of course, known for his dreams. Jo- uh, Joseph, of course, known for his dreams, but he comes from a line of dreamers. His father is known for his dreams as well, J- Jacob. Jacob, when he was in a place called Bethel, God gave him this dream of a stairway to heaven. In fact, I think I've got a picture. Just thank you so much of a stairway to heaven and angels ascending and descending on this stairway. And what's very interesting about this, if you go back into the Wayback Machine on our website, YouTube, by the way, our YouTube's amazing. We we film in 4K. You can't tell that on the live. We film in 4K, which maybe you don't want to see me in 4K. That's cool. Uh, but if you go back in the Wayback Machine, you can find when I was preaching on um, this portion right here because Jesus identifies himself as the stairway to heaven because in John chapter 1 verse 51, you can put that up there. John one fifty one, Jesus said to, to um, Nathaniel, and he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Jesus Christ is that ladder to heaven. He is the bridge between heaven and earth. He is how not God's loving nature can meet with God's justice. He is that latter, and he comes from the lineage of Jacob. Jacob's response after this dream was not faith, but it was doubt. There's a lot of if in his response. Later, he wrestles with God, and God puts out his hip joint and gives him a name Israel, which means, which either means over, overcoming, um, which means God the overcomer, God does everything he says and improves himself faithful to the patriarchs time after time. And tell, he tells Jacob in that dream in Genesis chapter 28 verse 15, Behold, I am with you. I will be with you wherever you go. And Becca just read to you that same Jacob who says, when he feels like all the world is against him, he says in verse 36, and this is the lichpin of understanding the last part here in chapter 42, he says, all this has come against me. He should have remembered that God told him that he'll be there for him. I remember growing up and my mom, when she was having a difficult day, she would say this. She said, it's not my, it hasn't been my day. It's not my day. If you're around my age, you probably remember a certain song, When It Hasn't Been Your Day, Your Week, Your Month, or Even Your Year. And for Jacob, it could have been, or two decades, because it's been 20 years since last he believed that Joseph had died. 20 years of living in this misery, living in this pit of depression. He's been living that. So it hasn't, in fact, this week's sermon was gonna be, When It Hasn't Been Your Day, Your Week, Your Month, or even your year, or even your two decades, but I figured I'll be there for you is a little shorter. Because that's what God had told him at Bethel. I will be with you. I will be with you. That is the most encouraging thing that God tells us, is that not that we won't have trouble. He says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, he's overcome this world. He's had two decades of what feels like to him, like he's been God's punching bag. But does you know, not all these things are against him. All these things are actually for him. For Jacob and for everyone, if you believe a lie, you will forget the truth. And he has believed a lie for about two decades that his second to youngest son died, was ripped apart by wild animals. For Jacob, it's been two decades. Last week, I talked about how his 10 brothers, his 10 brothers had lowered their brother into a pit. And their initial thought was, let's kill him. Let's kill this dreamer and see what comes of his dreams. And then they decided, let's, um, one of their brothers, their eldest brother says, don't do any evil to him. And they're like, okay, let's, let's just meet halfway in the middle and let's sell him into slavery. Selling him into slavery. And I said last week how these 10 brothers, we saw in their response when they didn't think anybody could hear them, but their brother Joseph could hear them. That they had this great regret, this great, this great uncleanness about them that they couldn't wash off, that they hadn't left this pit. Well, their father, neither as their father. His heart has been broken, it has stayed broken for twenty years. But God wants broken hearts. God wants your broken heart. The truth of God breaks lies even when uh, uh, God's truth breaks lies when we surrender to him. Jacob believed lies that broke his heart. But God wants your broken heart so he can heal it. In Psalm chapter 51 verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. In Psalm 147 verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. In Isaiah 61, 1, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Jesus Christ, when he was uh, when he was in one, when he was in a temple on the Sabbath, he read from that scroll. He read Isaiah sixty one one, and he says, "These have been fulfilled in your seating." When I heard about how the uh, the groundhog he doesn't see a shadow anymore, he like goes to a scroll that's been blessed. and like, well, then he like says, "This has been fulfilled in your seating." Um, But Jesus really did mean that. He really did mean he's come to bind up the brokenhearted. So my message for you today is that God's truth defeats every lie. He wants your broken heart. The solid rock of our lives is not our feelings. It is not our understanding and it's not our circumstances. Let me unpack that. There's a way we feel and then there's a reality. There's a way we feel and then there's a reality of a situation. There's a way our circumstances seem, but there's a greater thing that is happening at work that would cause everything to change. And then there's the way we understand things with our human mind that are not a godly mind. When Jesus told his disciples how he would go to Jerusalem to die, Peter, one of his disciples, the guy who thought he was in charge of the disciples, says, May it never be, Lord. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, for you know not the things of God. Our circumstances, our feelings, and our understanding do not determine, is not the solid rock in our life. The solid rock is the word of God. Dear one, you don't know what God is doing, but you can trust him in your circumstance. Jacob has had two decades of living in a pit of despair, all because of a lie. And a lie believed can have the same effect as the truth. A person who believes the lie will act as though it is the truth. The solid rock in Jacob's life, was the same as ours. It is the word of God. He had very little of the word of God in his life. We have very much, but in the same, in the same instances in his and in ours, it is sufficient. It is sufficient for every need and every hurt. What could have given Jacob in the ho- his hopeless decade? It was God's word to him in his dream. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. What does Jacob know in his situation? What doesn't he know? He does not know that God is behind all of this. He doesn't know that his second to youngest son, Joseph, is alive and well. He had believed his son's lies about him being attacked by a wild animal. In fact, can you pull up the picture? It is a painting from the 16th century of, uh, by a Dutch painter um, of Jacob being presented with the torn robe of Joseph. I like this. If you don't like art, I'm sorry if you're falling asleep right now. I think art is amazing. The longer you look at it, the more you get out of it. And in this one, you see Jacob, obviously a very old man, being presented with the robe of many colors. I should get like a big stick out so I can show you. Um, That has been torn, that has been bloodied. And you see how overcome in his grief he is, just unconsolable. He never, in many ways, he never left that moment. Sometimes we hold on to our grief way too long. We don't mean to. Our heart breaks and sometimes it stays broken. But Jesus died to heal your broken heart. And he wants your broken heart today. What what Jacob doesn't know, he doesn't know that God is behind all this. He doesn't know that his son is alive and well in Egypt. And he doesn't know that things are not as bad as they appear. But what does Jacob know? There's a lot of things you don't know too, right? Right? I remember during COVID, I didn't know a lot of things. I just knew one thing. I knew that God had required us to meet together. So what does Jacob know? He knows that God is faithful. God saw him to the back, of the, back to the land of his fathers, which also took 20 years. Took 20 years and, he, and God saw him back to the land of his fathers. God saved him from the hand of his brother Esau. God caused him to prosper he knows that God wants Jacob's good. Jacob also knows that his family is broken. And not just in his time, not just amongst his children. Obviously, there's a major break. In fact, if some of us have civil rivalry, I imagine none of us sold our brother or sister into slavery. Don't get any ideas. Uh, <laughs> so he knows his family is immediately broken, but his family's been broken for long before that. Because you remember with Abraham? Not once, but twice. Said that his wife was his sister. So that instead of killing him, they would take her. Which if they had done that, that would have destroyed the plan of God. He didn't do it just once, he did it twice. And then Isaac, we know with Isaac, Isaac actually does that once as well. He tries to resist the prophecy of the Lord that said the younger would serve the older, but God made it happen anyway. And then with Jacob, man, Jacob the heel grabber, putting on the putting on the the, the camel skin, I, yeah, camel skin, so he would seem hairy like his brother. We have this pattern in his family of deception, of pretending you're somebody that you're not. I'm going to get to something really, really dear, really, really, some pretty bad teaching that we've had in charismatic churches when it comes to family curses. Because you'll never find a ceremony to, re- to remove a family curse. This is what you will find. Faithfulness. One link. One person who says, I will no longer pretend to be the person I'm not. I am your brother Joseph. But that's for another couple weeks. That breaks the family curse. When one link will say, I will not live according to my fathers, but to my father who is in heaven. Jacob does know that his family is broken, but what he doesn't know is how God will will mend it. So in verses 29 through 38, through the last part of chapter 42, we see a lot of trouble here. In your notes, I've got three things of trouble. We have a troubling trip in verses 29 through 34. Verses 35 and 36, a troubling response. In verses 37 and 38, a troubling offer. So hopefully you have your Bibles out as we go through the word of God today. A troubling trip. We start in verse 29 and we see nine of them returning instead of ten. Not the ten, but the nine last chapter. The Lord of the land kept one of them. Um, So as soon as they return, Jacob knows something is up. The ten had no idea how their trip would go. Interesting enough, the Bible actually tells us that we shouldn't assume that every trip will be the way we think it goes. I, I imagine many people have testimonies of that. Like, you're just living your life, things are going fine, and then you get the phone call that stops the world. In Proverbs 27, verse 1, it says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. James 4:13 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. So we have a very quick application as we get into the scriptures here, is that because we do not know how long our life will be to take every advantage of every moment, know that your way will be dictated by God, so yes, before you move, pray every time you as every time you go on a trip, pray it's something that me and Becca still do when we go on any kind of trip, and probably should do it every time I get in the car because people drive pretty bad, right. You know, I I run quite a lot and I run quite a lot every week and every, and I I assume every, every run is going to be the same, which is a bad assumption because not every run is the same. And this summer, broad daylight, dude almost hit me. I mean, I I called Becca afterwards. I like, I, I, I kept my cool, but I let him know I was not happy about him not looking as he was trying to cross an intersection on McGregor. Come on folks. But that could have changed my whole day. Could have changed my whole life. It could have ended my life. And to know that our, our steps are dictated by God. So we have this report. It is the nine instead of the ten. Um, and it is more to Jacob's fear when he sees only nine instead of ten. And if you ever had fear like this where you, you assume the worst, it's like something is crawling up your throat. It's another son that's been lost. Another person in his life has gone before him. When Jacob was a younger man, he had left the place of his father and his mother because he had deceived his brother and got him awfully mad at him. So his mother tells him, go to the land of my people and wait there until I send for you. She never sends for him because she dies in that moment. So when he comes back, the one person in his life who really truly did love him, that we have really good evidence, she's, she's died before he comes back. And it was part of her plan, but it was his deception too. His relationship with his brother, even though it seems like it's mended, it's never going to be the same as it was when they were kids. He believes his second to youngest son, Joseph, has died. And now he sees yet another person in his life taken from him before his time. Not to mention his favorite wife, and that's messed up, I know. But it was once again, it was a messed up home. He had four wives, really two wives, two concubines. Go check out the Wayback Machine where I explain that in detail. Um, But his favorite wife died. And her uh, her sons, Joseph and Benjamin, mean the world to him. That is not to mean that his other sons don't mean something to him, but yet another person taken. There are very few fears worse than the fear of believing that you are either alone or that you will be alone. In verse 30, they tell him about the Lord of the land. Thus, us the reader, you kind of have to smile because we know, but he doesn't, that the Lord of this land, the son, the son he thought dead is now alive. We know that the Lord of this land is Joseph, but Jacob doesn't. I'm sure this must be strange since he was not from Egypt to hear about somebody other than Pharaoh calling the shots over in Memphis, not Tennessee, mind you, Egypt, and in verses 31 and 32, they tell him, they give this recap of what had happened in this, um, the, the previous part in this chapter, that they're accused of spies. Last week, I didn't go into this uh, very deep because I knew I'd get a chance this week. And last week's message was running kind of long. Hopefully this, this week's message will be a little shorter. Um, both the accusation and the response would seem very weird to us. So they come, they're coming just to buy grain. And the Lord of this land tells them, um, you're a bunch of spies. And they're like, we're not spies, we're brothers. And for us, I mean, right, we're looking at that on the face and we're like, okay, what? Okay, I don't understand any of this. Like last time you went to go get a chocolate bar, did someone stop you? And they're like, no, you're a spy for Slugworth. I know, I've seen the movie. (laughs) So, so their response. So, so it does make sense when you understand the context, which is you have most of the known world, if not all of the known world, in this great famine. Nobody has anything to eat, so everybody has to come to Egypt, and Egypt's pretty powerful at this time. It's probably the most uh, powerful nation on the face of the earth. But that doesn't mean you can guard everywhere at all points in time. So, it does actually kind of make a bit of sense to worry about raiders, middle of the night, and how well are those silos defended? Could a team of about a hundred go in, steal grain? So there is some understanding to this, even though it's weird. He's not accusing everybody. He's accusing them. And then they tell him, we're not spies, we're brothers. That's also kind of weird, right? I've never been, I remember one time, yeah, I'll share this. Um, I was a teenager. And when I was a teenager, before I knew Christ, I did a lot of things that were bad. And um, I remember one time, uh, it was actually Halloween and uh, Long story short, and I don't want to lose your attention here, but long story short, me and my friends lit this kid on fire. And uh, he was fine. And uh, we were so stupid, we kept walking on the same street with an eye shot of what we, our crime that we had committed. When the cops stopped us and asked us about what we were doing, we didn't say, Hey, we're not arsonists, we're brothers. We wouldn't have thought that would have been a really good way of getting out of trouble right now. If we just say that we're brothers, it does make sense in this that they're not from a nation; they're not citizens of a nation. They're just family of one tribe. You don't have to worry about us. We're not we're not citizens of some competing nation. No, we're just brothers of one man. We're just a family. Now, I do find that somewhat dishonest because two of these brothers actually killed a neighboring kingdom, um, but. They, that, that, is, that is their defense, is that they are honest men. They are not spies because they are brothers from one family. And they tell him one is no more. They repeat this to their father, what they told Zath-Panath-Paneah, which is Joseph's Egyptian name, which will be on a test later on. I'm just kidding. Uh, Joseph's response when he hears this is to weep. Jacob's response, however, their father, is fear and possessiveness. Joseph said that this would be a test for them to leave Simeon and to bring their youngest. And it was a test in so many ways. Last week and other weeks I talked about, I don't know whether or not Joseph was responding emotionally or by the Spirit of God. Because we see the Spirit of God testing the brothers and we see it testing the father. It is a physical test in that whether if, if their youngest brother is still alive and well, they should bring him. It's a spiritual test for the brothers. Have they really changed Will they allow one to rot in prison while the other nine are safe like they had done to him? Or will they come back to an unknown, an unknown fate? It is also an emotional test for Jacob. When we read this, we should very hear the very heart of God right here who sees his son Jacob suffering. His heart has been broken. It has stayed broken. And God will not leave him with the broken heart. That he wants better than that for him. Joseph doesn't know that this is what this is, but God does. In the absence of Joseph, Benjamin has become the target of Jacob's attachment issues. It's a disordered love that has crept back into his heart. And poor Benjamin, he's the one who gets the worst of this. We see this troubling reaction. Start in verse 35. And as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. We see this causes a uh, great fear. And when they, when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. The silver fills them with fear. David Gusick gives three reasons why this might be. Two of them I had already thought of. One of them I hadn't, and it really makes a lot of sense with the context of Genesis. One, that they had stole the grain and took off. And Think about this. They have the money on them. They're wondering, okay, what kind of accusations could we defend ourselves? If they say, hey, you, you stole the money. We could say, no, no, there's witnesses that we gave them the money. Or they could say, oh, there isn't witnesses. And they're like, oh, how do you prove that we did not actually buy this grain if we still have the money? The second one would be that they stole the silver. They stole the money. After they had given the money, they had gone back at night and took the silver. Here's the third possibility. This is why this fills them with fear because of what others might be thinking about this is that they sold their brother Simeon for silver. And how would they defend against this? If they go back to the Lord of the land, and he says, I paid you for your brother. What are you doing here? Are they going to call him a liar in his own kingdom? I thought that was powerful because I don't know about you because when I've messed up, when I've sinned, even the suspicion of that sin again will cause great fear to grip me. Because I know that whether or not I got away with it or not, it is something that it is something that is has a ring of truth, but it is not the truth. Jacob's reaction is further troubling for many reasons. He tells him, You've bereaved me of my children. You've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you would take and you would take Benjamin. His reaction is troubling because one, he has no intention of letting Benny go. I'm going to call him Benny from now on. The second is his phrasing, you have bereaved me of my children. The word your translators are translating as bereaved means to be made childless. He has believed the lie that his son Joseph is dead and he blames them. And that's a very interesting thing because they had made this lie so he wouldn't blame them, but he blames them Anyway. I don't know if that's an emotional thing or if through the years he could see the guilt on their face. And he knows it's something more than just an animal attacking his son happened. I don't know if he suspected that they had more to do with with the death of Joseph, of his son, but certainly he blames them for Joseph. And now he blames them for Simeon. And he he believes once again, Jacob has no intention of letting Benny go. He'd rather see Simeon dead than Benny go. He has believed lies. Jacob has believed the lies of his sons. A lie believed can have the same effect as the truth. Worse yet, a lie lie believed will cause us to doubt and forget the truth. You remember American Idol? Is that still on? I don't know. It was a stupid show. Hopefully not. American Idol. And I remember early on, you'd have people there and they were told they were lied to all their life. You're such a great singer. And you have such a presence on stage. And then they would, you know, they'd get up there and then it was, it was so cringy for the, the, us, the audience, because then they start singing, you realize everyone in their life has lied to them. And now on the stage, you've got three judges, one who's mean, two who are trying to be nice, who have to disabuse him of the lies. Because had, they'd believed the lie, the, these contestants, they believed the lie, so they acted on that lie. Jacob, he believes this lie and he's living as though the lie is true. What lies are you believing? Verse 36 is the key to understanding Jacob here. He believe, he has believed a lie, and from that false belief, the lies compound in his life. In verse 36, he says the opposite of Romans 8.28. You can put up Romans 8.28 as I read verse 36. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you... And now you, want, now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. That one phrase right there. All this has come against me. He is saying exact opposite of Romans 8.28. And we know, that all things, uh, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That's what believing lies does. It causes us to forget the promise of God. What was God's promise to him? I'll be there for you. When the rain starts to fall, I'll be there for you. When the famine starts gripping the land. He's forgotten that promise because he's believed the lie too long. Right here in in verse 36, he says the opposite of Romans 8.28. He says the opposite of what his very son will say later on in chapter 50. All these things are not against him. All these things are actually for him. And he has forgotten what God what God said, that, what God said it told, had told him that he would be with him. Thousands of years later, through the lineage of Jacob, will come a man named Jesus Christ, who is both man and God. And of him, the angels will say, Emmanuel, God with us. But Joseph, Jacob has believed the lie that Joseph was dead. Where do lies come from? The lies come, lies come from the devil. He's the father of lies, and when he speaks, he speaks his native tongue. Lies come from the world, the culture of this world, those in the world. That would be his son there who had told him this lie. So much of the way our world operates today is based on lies. In the book 1984, the society demands every person not just say 2 plus 2 equals 5, but to believe it too. That is key. If you can convince people what they know in their heart is wrong to be truth, You own them because they will live towards any truth is just relative. It's whatever I decide for today. It It may be wrong, but it's politically correct. And that's what matters. So much of our society is built on lies. And the person who sins the worst is the person who dares shares the truth. Here is the worst place lies come from because these lies are believed. And it is ourselves, our own sinful nature. The lies others and the devil tells us they are like seeds, but it is in us whether it finds hospitable or good ground. Once they take root, we add on to them. We tend them, we water them, we protect them, or we can rip them out with the truth of God. We can let the light of the gospel shine in the darkness, or we can wallow around in the darkness and curse it. All of a sudden, we are like Jacob, and we say, all these things are against me. Have you had those moments? I know I have. Where things are not going well. Where I'm forgetting a lot of the promises of God and I start thinking all of these things are against me. But actually it was those very things that God is going to use to bless me in my life because I'm too stubborn to let Benjamin go. Here's some common lies we believe. I can't, I can't cover every lie you are believing today, but here are some of the common ones. I am beyond hope, or this situation is beyond hope. Who says? You say, your heart says, your eyes say. Let God be true, and every man a liar. That includes this man. I will never be clean. I hear this mainly from believers. I know that God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. That's another way of saying, I don't believe I'm clean. I don't believe the word of God that says he's cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Here's the last one right here. God has forgotten or forsaken me. No mention of his faith right here, right, Jacob? This whole diatribe, he's with his sons. He's telling them, this has happened, this has happened. All these things are against me. I know what that's like because we don't want to remember the promises of God when we're having our pity parties. We want to believe the lies. When we believe the lies, we forget about the truth that God has promised never to leave us, forsake us. Though while in this world we have trouble, take heart, he has overcome the world. Let me talk about again what Jacob doesn't know. Jacob doesn't know that God is behind this. Psalm 105, God has actually brought the famine to bring this family together. This is for, he doesn't know that this is for his healing. This is for the healing of his family. I said before, things are not as bad as they appear. They will eat, they will be safe, and his son, whom he thought was dead, is alive. Also, here's one thing, and this is one of the good things about preaching through Genesis. This was actually foretold. When God cut his covenant with his his grandpa Abraham, God had told Abraham that they would go into Egypt for a period of time. I guarantee you, Jacob heard that story. It is their story. It's why they continue to circumcise his own sons is because God had cut this cut this covenant with Abraham and he had prophesied of their of their, their entrance into Egypt and also their exodus from Egypt. It's also been foretold. Oftentimes, the blessings of God can almost seem like curses. This is all, this is all for, Jacob's, for Jacob and his family for their good. But to Jacob, it all seems like a curse. And we look at the famine, it doesn't seem good, but God is the one sending it. It's not only just good for Jacob and his family, it's actually good for Egypt. It's good for Canaan. It is, a, it is at the very least, they can see in the man of Zathpanathpanea, Joseph, the way the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob takes care of his people. It's good for his family. It's good for Jacob because he will have to send his sons or they will die. Sometimes God tells us to move, and then we tell him, and, we, and when we tell him back no, he says, Well, you're going to anyway, so you better get comfortable with it. I, I've been in that before. In fact, I haven't mentioned this very often, but my first position out of college in ministry didn't go well. It was as a youth pastor. And, and me and my wife, we say today, like we knew early on it wasn't going well, but we'd been told this, well, we have been told this lie. I mean, not to seek the Lord, but to say, I'm staying here no matter what. I'm not going to abandon these kids. And it was wrong because God was moving us on. We were like, no, we're going to stay here. And things got Bad, and I remember it was so bad, it, it struck my very spirit. In fact, I talk with people in ministry, and it always really, I mean, I, I see when I bring this up, it always something in their eyes because they know what I'm talking about. See, I've had a bad time at jobs before. When things go bad in the ministry, you feel bad as a human being and as a servant of God, whether it's your fault or not. And I remember that, and I remember at the time saying to myself, okay, I will remember the promises of God, I will not speak evil. Against those who maybe spoke evil against me, I will bless them. And turns out that God was freeing me up for really where he wanted me to go. And it was the best blessing of my life. Serving over in Dubuque, serving here, that wouldn't have happened if those circumstances didn't happen. I, I think when I think about how God, sometimes God tells us to move. We're like, no, I'm staying put. God's like, well, you're moving anyway. In the next couple chapters, God will set the famine will get so bad that he'll have to send Benjamin anyway. He should have just sent him right away. In fact, I, I think about uh, this video if you want to po- post it real quick. I send this to, yeah. Sound, sound. You're going to have to replay it, I think. Starting right now. All right, replay it, please. <laughs> Stop crying. It won't do any good. And anyway, you have a lot of work to do starting right now. I send that to my wife when I make her go to the gym with me. <laughs> and while we're at the gym, I, I send it to her. Um, but that is the way that God will deal in a lot of people's life, is that we'll tell him, no, we'll be stubborn. But when God has a plan for you, well, you'll be doing it anyway. It's, 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 your, it's your choice how comfortable it'll be. For Jacob, it has to get incredibly uncomfortable. You know the thing about it, though? We don't move when we're comfortable. We don't draw close to God when we're comfortable. God speaks to us. This is from C.S. Lewis, and actually I don't have a quoted, so I'm probably going to, it's a paraphrase, meaning a misquote, Uh, is that God whispers to us in pleasure. He speaks to us in the calm, but pain is the megaphone that he uses to move a world that is filled with apathy. The Bible is not just the word of God a word of God. It is the sufficient word of God. It doesn't matter what your heart tells you. It doesn't matter what others tell you. It doesn't matter what the world tells you. It doesn't matter if all the forces of hell say one thing, let God be true and every man a liar. When Jesus Christ, before he was to be crucified, he prays to the father and he tells the father, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. When he's on trial, Pilate, When Pilate hears Jesus say that all those on the side of truth are on my side, he says, what is truth? Jesus doesn't give a response back to him, but the response is to us. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the logos of God. No wonder, every moment of every day, it seems like people are constantly attacking the Bible, the word of God, because they're attacking Jesus Christ as well. It's just the front. It's just the way you can say, oh, I I love Jesus, but I hate the Bible. That is such a contradiction because it is his very words. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jacob, Jacob is forgotten or he is not remembering. It's certainly not in the text itself where he is remembering his dream about wrestling with God. He is believing the lie and he is wallowing. He is wallowing in that pit. So after he has this troubling response, his oldest gives him a very troubling offer. And this is verses 37 and 38. Reuben, Jacob refuses this idea and is counting Simeon as lost, as good as dead. When his oldest son, Reuben, makes a very troubling offer. Reuben is Jacob's first son and his name means to see or see I have a son. I find that ironic because he doesn't see a lot. He didn't see how serious his brothers were when they wanted to kill Joseph. He didn't think his father would see his affair with one of his father's concubines. He doesn't recognize the Lord of the land who is Joseph. And he has this really ridiculous idea in verse uh, 37. Then Reuben said to his father, kill my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Oh, what a great idea. I mean, after he loses Joseph and Simeon and Benjamin and maybe all of them, he can just exterminate his whole family. What a great compromise, Reuben. Once again, it's pretty funny that his name is, you know, to see. He doesn't see a lot. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, for one, nobody in that conversation believes Reuben is really offering his two sons to be killed if if he doesn't come back with Benjamin. You know, and 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 two, what would that matter? Once again, it would just compound the problem. He's not really going to do it, but you know who really does give his son? See, it was the one son, Benjamin, who would then ransom Simeon. It'd be the son whom he loved and is well-pleased to ransom the rebel who killed the neighbors. And he's not okay with that, nor does he believe Benjamin's thing about his two sons to ransom Simeon. But you know who sends his son who he is well pleased to ransom a bunch of rebels? God the Father did. That's what we did today when we took communion. We read that and we rightfully see that's ridiculous. But God's love for us is so great. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son his one and only son, and not and not out of a and not out of maybe things will turn out thing, but knowing that he would suffer and die for our sins. That is how amazing God's love for us is—that he would give his son. The nine look to ransom the one with the eleven. Jesus, the one and only, ransoms us. Not by simply appearing, but to also dying as well. The father of heaven gives his one and only son whom he loves and is well pleased. He does more than rescue us as well. He redeems us. He gives us a hope and a future. He does more than rescue his children. He also sends his adopted children, missionaries, in fact, if you go to the book of Revelation, you'll see other than the lamb, other than the one who sits on the throne, there are some rock stars in heaven. And I say that term very loosely, but they have very special attention. They're the martyrs. And they're given a better resurrection. Let's think about the martyrs. The martyr would be somebody who's been adopted by God the Father through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They're a Christian. So God loves them. He gave his son for them. He then takes that adopted son or daughter and he takes them to give his word to a people who are not wanting to hear it. And when they spill their blood, it's not just business as usual. There's a, there's a reason when I read the stories of martyrs, it always brings tears to my eyes because I realize the love God must have for those people. Because he loved them. He loved the person he sent towards them. Jim Elliot, him and his friends heard about this tribe who would never had any contact. They'd never heard the word of God. So they go there and every single one of them is murdered. And then their family comes. And because of some right, some thing that they had going on, they hear the word of God. And I think of God's point of view. He sends Jim Elliot. He sends his friends. Jesus Christ, who died for those men, who loves those men, then gives those men so that they might hear the word of God in the, amongst that tribe. It's why church father Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Verse 38, going back to our text. But he said, this is Jacob to his sons, my son shall not go down with you, which I find to be interesting because he's talking to his son. He says, my son will not go down with you down with you for his brother is dead and he is the only one left if i if if harm should come to him on the journey that you that you are to make you should you uh would bring down my gray hairs with um with sorrow to shield Jacob is talking to his other sons and he tells them his son will not go with him my paraphrase of this my poor poor baby cannot endure such a trip here's a quick reality check Jacob is 130, and Benjamin is 25. My poor, anybody here 25 by any chance? Isaiah is 25? 23. You're 23, so you're not quite 25? You'll, you'll fit. Can you imagine your mom and dad? Poor Isaiah, he's too delicate to go on such a trip. He needs to stay at home where it's safe. Jacob has become the ultimate helicopter parent. Here's a question I often have when I come to this text. Did Benjamin want to go with them? You know, I bet he did. If he had any kind of love for his brothers, he would want to see Simeon safe. It doesn't matter. His poor constitution, he can't make it. We look at Jacob's history and it makes sense. He is a man who has suffered loss. Sometimes it makes you sweeter and more dependent on the Lord. Sometimes it hardens you, and you become a codependent monster who will crush the ones you love instead of promoting their good. Does Benjamin want to go and save his brother? It doesn't matter. My poor baby's too sensitive. We have been following Jacob for a while on Sunday mornings. It has been quite the journey, but the Bible is not a fairy tale. It's not a Hallmark movie. We look at Jacob, and I want us to understand, there has been growth in his life. He is not an unbeliever here. So, if you're looking at this and you're looking down at Jacob and you're like, oh, I would never do that or whatever. I wouldn't respond that way. Understand, Jacob had a dream of the Lord where the Lord met him. He wrestled with a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And he is living in covenant. But here's the thing. When sorrow comes into our life, it causes us to forget these things. When we believe lies, it causes us to forget the goodness of God. And so Jacob here, we shouldn't judge him too harshly because we've been in similar places far, far less. And we forget. What I want to encourage you with is whether you've, maybe you've had a setback lately. That God is still, that what God is doing, is God is still working in your life. You have not lost out on all things. He isn't perfect. He is growing. He has setbacks, Yes. But God is still bringing up the rocks to the surface in his life as well. I shared that that um that illustration last week once again. I give credit to uh, Wayne and Martha firstenel for this because I did not know this that in every every spring there's rocks in the field and i I grew up in rural towns, so don't don't be looking at me and judging me here. I just didn't know why rocks show up every spring, and I remember my job i I, I got you know minimum wage or whatever to to pick rocks. Worst job ever. Anyway, pick rocks. And I'm like, okay, why every year is there rocks? Do they migrate over there? Do animals take them over there? What kind of animals are taking them over there? Groundhogs and stuff? I mean, they're already predicting the weather. They might as well put the rocks in the field. And Martha had told me, you know, what happens is that the rocks have always been in the field. They just, you just couldn't see them. They're under the surface. And the winter, the hard ground, brings them up to the surface and they need to be taken out of the field. God often uses trying times in our life to bring these rocks to the surface. This is unresolved issues that Jacob has always had that God wants to take from him and heal him. Jacob's response is that he will not let Benjamin go. Does he pray about it? Absolutely not. You know what that's like, right? When you've set in your ways, when you're being stubborn and somebody says we should pray, no, you'll lie and you'll say, I've already prayed and this is what God wants. I remember one time, and I've shared this before, I was upset and my wife is like, let's pray. I was like, I don't want to pray, I want to be angry. Because you can't do both. Because God loves them, God God will continue the famine until the grain that they had is all used up and they're on the verge of starvation once again. This happens in our life. God tells us to obey him, to surrender, and we say we won't. From this, from my own experience throughout the scriptures, if I were to paraphrase the Lord's response at those times, it's, well, you're gonna. Jacob believed one lie, but one truth would destroy every lie that he has believed in his life. This one truth is that the son he believed was dead is alive. The son... He thinks his dead is truly alive. The living son makes the difference. The living son makes the difference. The living son has been exalted. The living son gives the bread of life. The living son is the savior of the world. The living son means you can trust God. The living son gives hope to the hopeless. Maybe you're wondering, am I talking about Jacob's son or am I talking about God's son? The answer is yes. We see what happened in Jacob's life is true for us because the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is alive. He has been exalted. He is at the right hand of the Father right now, making intercession for you. He has been exalted. He is, he is the Savior of the world. He gives the bread of life. The living Son means you can trust God. The living Son gives hope in every hopeless situation. Worship team, would you come up at this time? I don't know where you're at today, but I know this. You'll have times of trouble. You'll have troubling trips. You'll get a very troubling response from others. People's ways of trying to fix the problem will only make it worse. But God still tells you, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And he means it. Let the truth of God destroy every lie. Trust and obey. What lies are you believing today? In our last song here, that's where I want us to go. Actually, there's probably, there's probably applications from today's sermon that I don't even know about, but this is one application. We should always stop and ask God, what lies am I believing today? Let me take some of my very hard thought beliefs and take them to the word of God and see how they stack up. Has sorrow and grief caused me to believe a lie that simply isn't true? Has maybe betrayal in my past caused me to believe lies about God, my father, that aren't true? One thing in men's ministry that keeps getting brought up is that like our relationship with our earthly father is mirrored with our relationship with God. Me personally, I've never known that. Because I've always had that perspective on God that he is, he is the good, good father. But maybe you do have that. Maybe your relationship with your father really is influencing your relationship with God and God wants to break through that lie today so you might see him as the good, good father. Do you really believe that all things work together or do you believe that all of these things are against you? Do you trust that when God says it, he will do it? And that even though if you can't see right now, that God will bring all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, for our good and his glory.